let your girl to Luna. She'll go down that morning, but they won't steal her away. Now, your girlfriend's safe at this Luna. Work as Asian, the others gay. Oh, that doesn't apply today. Welcome to Nooner on the Smodco Internet Radio Network. It's a very special uh, one-on-one uh, episode that we've had done a couple times um, with my non-gay friend up in the East Bay, Will Wilkins. I'll never tell. And, oh, that's right. I Dare I presume. <laughs> uh, and I'm your uh, the other host. I'm Marty, you, uh, down in Los Angeles in the cave with the dogs and no other merps. Um, how did how did you wind up merpless today? Uh, well, let's see. Cassandra actually got a job, so she's doing training today. Um, Bill doesn't ever tell me why, and he told me at like midnight can't come. Um, and uh, Giselle is doing Giselle things. She's been very uh, involved with uh, this um, idiot. Uh, it's like an improv uh, performance thing that she's been doing a lot lately. So I need to catch that. And uh, I, th- I think that Scott is uh, working uh, I'm probably on uh, Lady Dynamite, where he's been uh, doing acting stuff. And um, I managed to see, I don't know if you ever, uh, if you met Jason Casafracas on the podcast, but he's I've heard him. Yeah. Well, he's, uh, he's, Deep in study, um, doing his his uh, this program that he's been doing. So uh, that's how I got Merpless. And Dan Etheridge is in Australia. Who knows when he'll be back? If you want him back, just tweet at him. Tweet at him at Don, Dan Etheridge and at Don Etheridge, and say Dan, come back to the show because he's uh, in LA for the next few months. So what we, in the hell, Dan? You know, come back to the show. Yes, what well, he doesn't tweet it right now. Hmm. Um. <laughs> Jane says, by the way, tweet in at uh, Nooner Podcast. Um, Jane says, you know it is a Nooner if you hear Marty before the music. That is how it works. This is how we do it. Uh, Jane, I'm sure you've been following the news. Um, we've uh, Everything has been... Uh, well, There, I guess there have been two things. There's been the, the wiretapping thing, which is less interesting to me. It's just more about uh more of a, an assertion of of trump's personality no but don't worry the wiretapping isn't wiretapping yeah it's uh it's wiretapping and the collective sense of the word i was of, speaking of the holistic wiretapping as a right. espionage concept yeah when 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 somebody uses their ears to hear somebody else that's that's what i consider wiretapping uh, I actually just sit in my uh, studio here and, and go to the audio cables and I just tap them. That's what I'm doing. Well, that is you, you got to you find your you, you find your thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, what's your I know it's not very interesting, so I, I'm not going to drag you into it too much. But I mean, do you think that uh, at the time that Trump sent? First of all, I, I firmly believe he believes everything that he tweets. So let's just get that out of the way. Yeah. But but do you really think that he understood the potential implications of what he was saying when he was saying it? Uh no, no. I mean it was what, six in the morning. I mean, like he he did not um 
No, he didn't give a shit. Uh, or I don't think he just. I don't think he thinks of consequences. I think he he's one uh, one of those persons who walks in a room and and just sizes it up and thinks about how to get the biggest rise, and um, and that is what's more important to him than anything uh, is is just getting people's favor, and it and that's you know he does that through making money and and just saying things that people want to hear. But that that is the that to me is like that is a something that we're just going to have to deal with for the next four years and i, I don't think it's that consequential is that you or me don't worry about it nobody oh, else okay. can hear it oh okay the voices in my head yeah pretty much and mcqueen is barking at nothing mcqueen mcqueen Shabby! oh no yes Shecky. um sheppy is my friend's cat oh okay uh, so, but there's the healthcare debate, and you know there's the big push to repeal and replace it because it's been this boondoggle that has sent health costs skyrocketing. And the truth is that healthcare costs were skyrocketing long before Obamacare, um, and that's one of the reasons why they introduced it. And it was imperfect, but it, it addressed a lot of those things, and it made healthcare available to a lot of people. But the Republicans made it imperfecter and did not make any effort to improve it, which they, they had plenty of opportunity to. Said so they voted 60 times to repeal it. Um, but Americans still spend literally twice as much as other developed countries do on healthcare, And we still live a couple of years shorter. And, um, and now there's Trump care. Uh, what is it? The mm -hmm. Affordable American, American Health Care Act. Yeah, A C H A H C A. But I, I just want to call it Trump Care because he doesn't want us to call it Trump Care. Um, and it will get Medicaid, and over the next decade, we'll put 24 million people off of health care. Yeah, that came uh, out yesterday with the. Uh, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I love how much I'm learning about the government now. So the Congressional Budget Office, the CBO. Yeah, well, you know, I was just mentioning Sheppy. Uh, Sheppy's owner works for the CBO. So oh, he's wow. in in dc right now look at marty you people that knows people i i am i'm i'm not really a people but i'm a people who knows people there you go yeah uh and in my mind it, it just so much of it comes down to this this philosophical discussion of whether healthcare is a privilege like getting a driver's license or buying the latest iphone jason chavitz or a right like police and fire protection and you know is it good for society for society to be healthy and uh, that's how I come down on it. But I think that every politician should answer that question when they run for office because there's it's sort of disingenuous for Paul Ryan to say, I, you know, this is going to make a, p Americans healthier. Basically, he does not, being this, this uh, uh, Ayn Rand uh, uh, sort of libertarian type person, he doesn't, he believes that everybody should fend for themselves. And he should just admit that and say, I, in my perfect world, government wouldn't pay for anything and everybody would just fend for themselves. And if he came out and said that, of course, I don't think people would find that very popular, people who rely on Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, and these are ultimately, for all the abuses that happen within the system, it's a big system, things happen, uh, these these are better for society, in, in, my, um, in my mind. And uh, people have their own thoughts about that, but I think that if politicians answer that question, then we would get a better sense of why they do the things that they, they do.
but the, this current thing, the AHCA, really will hurt the poor and the elderly. And for instance, in like 10 years, when they say that all these people will be put off health care, under Obamacare, a 64-year-old making uh, $26,500 a year would pay $1,700 a year for health care. Under Trump care, they would pay 14.6,000. So it's, uh, what, eight times as much. And that is just, you know, that, that's impossible. No, they won't be able to do that. Uh, and I think one of the, what it gets away from is the reason why healthcare costs are so high. And there's, I've talked before about the abuses in, in the healthcare system, but also like we've gotten really good at keeping people alive and that can be really expensive. Um, and like end of life care is very expensive. So when somebody's um, reaching in their final days and they, they're in the hospital, which is you know, thousands of dollars a day and, or can be, and then they're receiving these treatments that are very expensive, um, it really adds up. And I think we, that's when people are like, it, you have to do this for me. You know, like it, it is my right, or you have to, pay for whatever it is to make to to keep me alive and that that i think that's when you get those those uh, discussions about death panels so if like there's a treatment that's half a million dollars that uh, that can cure thousands of people do we cure every single person with that half a million dollar treatment i'm sort of throwing that out there uh and i'm of the opinion yes we should i but i you know i this is a tough topic for me because I can, I guess the best way to put it is I can understand uh, both sides. And, you know, of all of the people that I have lost so far in my life, it's been my, my father and mm -hmm. my wife's stepfather. And in both cases, uh, they were also uh, veterans. So the right. majority of their coverage uh, and their expenses uh, was addressed. Yeah, there was some some discussion and some arbitration that would have to happen along the way. But, you know, there was and this is kind of what I think about it, too, as is there's always the 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 aftermath, you know, even after we're gone, the ones we love have to deal with these things. There's the financial impact and everything else. And um, I have lately I've been watching uh, Keith Olbermann's videos, the, the resistance on uh, GQ dot com. And this isn't a direct endorsement of him. However, the last video he did was an amazing kind of uh, performance art piece in a way because um, he kind of kept riffing on the same theme and then belittling the people that are involved in the, the rhetoric of talking down uh, the American or pardon me, the Affordable Care Act and talking up the uh, AHCA. And it, he even stated, you know, because... His father was a veteran, and uh, I received uh, benefits, I think, through through Medicaid. Uh, when he was gone, the hospital bill after uh, surgery recovery and intensive care and and, and just months in the hospital, uh, his his children were left with a, a bill for one thousand dollars. And yeah, under it seems like under this new plan, uh, that type of thing wouldn't happen. Uh, and the other thing too that I, that I uh, I have a major issue with, I, I firmly believe no one in America. I mean, and this is is more of a 
not a, necessarily a testament to how America is, but it's it's really how I view America should be, and that is that nobody should go bankrupt trying to stay alive in America, and nobody should die because they have to choose between making their mortgage payment or being alive. I mean, the vice president of the United States, while in office, because, you know, one of the things we always will say is that politicians, you know, it's it's one thing for them to say something, but they're getting their health insurance from the government. Right. The vice president of our country was looking at having to sell his home to attempt to assist uh, in his, his son's medical expenses. He was dying from cancer. I mean, he did. He passed from cancer, and, and it, it's a horrific thing. But that even right there is a, just a testament to how, in my opinion, off things are. And right. and, and then you, you look just you know, a few thousand miles to the north of us. Thousand? Okay, well, at least a thousand. And, and you've got an entire nation where where healthcare is functioning and everyone's covered. Yeah, I mean, pretty much, right. So why why can't we, as supposedly the greatest nation, and and now we're in this era where we're going to do so much winning, why can't we get a, a group of people that understand? You know, not to mention too. I'm I'm I'm. This is a, a very serious question I have to all politicians on both sides of the aisle, and, and it's this: What's the point of government in our country? What is the point? And it all boils down to a few things. Uh, it's helping to assist in keeping law and order. That'd be one thing. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, too, is that it should exist to benefit the constituency. Right. It should be there for us. So I'm not. And also, mm-hmm. look, I have to pay a mortgage if I want to live in my home. If I didn't have a home, I would have to pay my rent if I wanted a roof over my head. So I understand the concept of paying for things that I need. But I also, and, and maybe this is, is kind of like the dividing line between uh, my thought process and maybe across the aisle, but, you know, the other thing, too, is that I also understand that there are, that being an American in itself is a, is a yes, because I was born here, it's a right, but it is also a privilege. And I firmly believe that those that are better off should do at least a little something to help those that aren't. So the poor and the elderly, if we have a health care plan that is essentially going to penalize them because they merely exist, that's a that's a major issue. That's something that we can't allow. And uh, I don't know, man. I mean, I, like, honestly, I think my biggest fear right now is that uh, the, well, actually, you know, my biggest problem that I have, and maybe you could explain this to Marty, me, Marty, because I don't understand it. Uh, my biggest problem is I- I'm hearing all this rhetoric about how Obamacare is imploding and Obamacare is failing uh, bigly. So, but but why is that? Why why is it imploding? Tell me how it's imploding, uh, because I think some of the other rhetoric we heard is that no matter what, you know, one year, two years, it- it's going to be gone anyway. Do you agree with that? Well, I think if you didn't do anything, um, it would um, it would fail because uh, basically there um, are two things that happened. Let's see. Like one was that the um, the 
Supreme Court said that states did not have to accept the um, the uh, Medicare or uh, Medicaid um, uh, supplementation or whatever the mm-hmm. um, and a bunch of states turned that down and um, and then so when that money was not available to people who were signing up in those states for uh, for Obamacare. Uh, I'm screwing this up somehow. And then the other thing is that uh, that insurance companies were pulling out of um, of Obamacare, um, and they were not covering offering plans under Obamacare because there wasn't they weren't paying enough. Um, and I'm totally screwing that up. And um, I think that the this is why like you don't want to have competition uh, in. in Obama in healthcare because then you get people, the uh, the people providing healthcare are are governed by money, and and competition, which as opposed to the moral like responsibility of of taking care of people. So a, an example would be in you know it wasn't until 1849 or so 1850 or so that they there were um, fire departments that were uh, government funded municipal fire departments before that if you watch gangs of new york you saw that it was all privatized and so uh they would have uh, these gang wars basically and extortion so basically they were fighting for territory and and then shaking down people saying if you want fire protection you pay us money and then if you don't you know who knows what might happen so there was uh arson gang wars extortion all these things horrible things were happening and it wasn't. It was at the expense of people's protection from fire. Mm-hmm. So once you take that competition out and just say, "Okay, hey, you know, policeman, you have to take care of everybody. Hey, fire department. Hey, doctor. You know that this. Hey, hospital. It doesn't matter how much people have. You just you make sure that they're okay. And when that becomes, when you have, you know, I, nurses aren't thinking, "Oh, I better make money and uh, and take care of this person." They want to take care of everybody, but they're they're their arm, hands are tied by these hospitals and big insurance groups are just like, you know, you, you know, we have, you have to have them fill out this questionnaire, make sure you get their insurance card before you and, and check their to make sure that they can cover their deductible before that we, we admit them. It's not exactly like that, but you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's where, uh, why Obamacare is flawed. And that's why a single payer system is, is I think morally, uh, a more preferable system but also I, I wanted to talk about like so you're saying that you know nobody should have to to um miss a payment um nobody should go bankrupt trying to live sure and i think that then we get into these questions of okay so say that there's uh that every you know for cancer there's a, a drug that lets people live uh, an extra two months and, you know, uncomfortable months, but it's an extra two months and it costs like whatever, $50,000. Does a hospital have, are they obliged to give that? So, you know, if you, well, get- if you want to pair it with the Hippocratic oath, I think that uh, regardless of what the insurance company is willing to cover or not, they would, they're obligated to apply it. I mean, unless that person has a, you know, a, DNR or something, but that's not the scenario we're talking about here. Right. Um, 
but think, but then but then yeah somebody's somebody's stuck holding the bill so who is that going to be right and then you do get into a question of okay well you know as a society like it, do we go bankrupt for for these people who are sick and or, you know who who ends up paying that bill and i think that is a question that we i don't know the answer to and we have to deal with i think one of the things is that we should know how much things are costing. So it's like, I mean, the other thing is you offer incentives for people. You say, okay, well, this is this procedure is going to cost you $50,000. You're still going to die. It's going to be uncomfortable. And if you don't do it, we'll, you know, we'll have $50,000 more money. And do you offer them incentive and say, we'll give your family 20 grand if you don't take this? thing and and that's that's an incredibly dark sort of uh, uh arrangement there but how else how else do we deal with these things like like for instance alzheimer care alzheimer care is expensive it requires 24 7 care when you're in the deep stages of it the like if i were had it alzheimer's well i know uh, somebody who has alzheimer's um peripherally and she's incredibly depressed doesn't remember one day to the next and uh, in addition to all the other complications of having Alzheimer's, is is this like she cannot obviously advocate for herself? But I would want before I got to that state to not to personally I would want to not live, and I'd rather not be a burden on society because I could live that could end up being years and years of of care. And where one day to the next would be the same to me. And I, that's not a quality of life that I want to experience. So, and I don't, don't want to be a burden to my family or society, frankly. And I'd rather end on a high note. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, but anyhow, th these are these sort of questions that I think about, like, okay, when, like, Obviously, there are the, these extreme cases of people who, who can be saved and with a lot of expenditure, and I'm happy to spend that money. But then there are people who just want to lay, live for the sake of living. And, uh, and I'm not saying I, I, that's a completely natural thing. Um, but for, for instance, like a lot of cancer treatments are incredibly expensive, but they don't really necessarily work and they don't improve the quality of life. But people opt for them because they just want to, you know, I don't know, see that the season finale of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I, I don't know, you know, um, and I'm not saying that we should ration that, but I think that people need to be aware of the what what the trade-offs are. And it's not just about living another day. It's about yeah. living a quality life and and also being conscious of the burden that you're putting on your family and everybody else. Um, so I don't know I, that, but anyhow, as, as my point, my greater point is as technology gets better and as medical advances happen, we're going to have newer and newer ways to extend life and to heal people. And that some of them are going to be incredibly expensive. If they are, does that mean that everybody has a right, has an, that society has an obligation to give everybody that treatment? And that question gets much more complicated and then the question is who pays for it. So I guess maybe then I would want health care for all, but I wouldn't necessarily want uh, 
you know, a brain transplant into a younger person. <laughs> wait, wait, why not? Hold on here. Hold on. Oh, you're saying that I can have the body of a 24 year old. Uh, yeah. Um, well, now you're now you're talking my language. You're getting yeah. into medical and sci-fi. So <laughs> bring it. Yeah, you know, it, look, I understand it's a complex topic. I understand there are a lot of different ways to to spin it. But you know, I mean, I just look at it from. The, I mean, look. Thankfully, I'm employed, uh, and thankfully, I'm employed in a manner where I am, you know, receiving uh, basically basically subsidies from my employer, uh, right. essentially. So that I can have a more affordable healthcare experience, uh, and and some people may not have that. Um, but I, I just I really feel like as a society, I, I'm not necessarily saying we need to bear the burden of their care. Um, but I I think that the way that it works, and this is the only reason why I sort of agree with the approach of the uh, Affordable Care Act, uh, is that you know it it penalizes you on your taxes if you don't have insurance. Right. Um, but at the same time, it also requires that you do have insurance. So that way, people are buying into insurance. And, and in case nobody is aware of how insurance works, uh, basically all of us that pay for it that are healthy and don't use it uh, help buffer the costs of those that have to heavily use it when they're sick. That's that's what insurance is. You're, you're, it's not just for you. Yeah. So if you use insurance you, you don't feel obliged to be like oh i, I should get in uh, i should get an endoscopy even though i don't need one uh, or i should you know i should go to the doctor and i mean it's for healthy people pay it for sick people yeah exactly or you in in the in you know you're insuring yourself against the need of uh, of medical coverage later and I, I, I've seen, I've personally seen a benefit from the American Care or uh, the Affordable Care Act because my uh, wife uh, and children were oh covered uh, medically when I had a very brief window of unemployment last year. Right. Uh, my contract ended and it was being negotiated for renewal and, and there was this lag time. And in that time, guess what? I had zero coverage, none. Right. And I had to, and I had to make the choice now. And, and this is uh, one of the things too that uh, the rest of the country can kind of—I don't want to say look to California, but it's true. I feel that uh, California somehow succeeded in, in implementing the Ameri the Affordable Care Act because um, not only did their covered California website uh, work well for me, but I the way they organized my family, this was genius. So I was considered the earner. Everyone else was considered to be unemployed and having no income. So they heavily subsidized my wife's insurance and my children's insurance uh, as her being a single mother with no income and or not a single mother, but a mother with no income. And uh, so it would have the funniest part is it would have cost me, I think, four hundred and ninety some odd dollars a month for my coverage. There's. Three people, mind you, I was insuring at that point, was uh, it was about $123 a month. Now that, if you apply that logic under that model, I can almost understand where Chaffetz is coming from about deciding between the new iPhone and, and your health coverage. Because $123 a month, yeah, that could be a challenge, but 
I believe if I had to, if I had no other expenses to cover, I could probably scrounge aluminum cans and come up with $123 in a month, okay? Right. I, I could find a way to get that together. Healthcare so. would not, would specifically hits the poor and the elderly the hardest. And Well, it, it uses, and, and this is the reason. The way up, it, and that's the reason why uh, in where they, uh, in a state like California, where they accepted the Medicaid expansion, you know, that, and that provides a lot of money so that that number can, and the, th the thing is, you're right, like, but also people took advantage of it. People signed up for, for Obamacare. So it worked because it was affordable. Yeah, well, that's, it's, it's there. Jump on it. Get it, right? 30 million people took advantage of it. And, and the funny thing is, you know, most Americans are, uh, are on, have, you know, employer-based health care. So this is really just a, a question, a, an issue that affects a very small portion, but it's important that we, and again, you know, it gets back to like, we want our society to be healthy. Well, so, I mean, I, I, I don't even know if, uh, for example, right now, my, my mom has health insurance. She is, uh, what year is this? We're in 2017, right? Sure. I'll go with that. Okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure we are. Okay. I'll take your word for it. Uh, oh, wow. I, well, it would be impolite to say her age, but I, I will say that she's beyond 60. Let's just put it that way. Okay. And um, she's one of those people now because she is on a fixed income. And uh, if she can't find an affordable health care solution, uh, she just doesn't have any. I mean, she hardly ever. She's one of those people now that I think uh, doesn't go to the doctor uh, because un unless I guess they're dying because they don't want any bad news. Um <laughs> At least that's the way she has explained it to me. So, uh, what's going on with my audio? Sorry. Um, my whole point uh, in bringing this up is like I don't even know if my mom is insured, uh, and uh, I I don't know uh, why she didn't take advantage of it. Uh, but she is also a registered Republican, so that may be the reason why. I don't know. Wow. Um. Yeah. That's that's a little scary. Um, yeah. Hey, believe. Hey. Believe you me, I, I feel the same way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have political discussions with your mom? No. Yes. Well, here's the thing. I do, but I keep it. I keep it civil. I guess is the best way to put it. I. I, I only and I. I just stick with facts. If she veers into, uh, which she she generally doesn't, uh, but if she veered into anything that uh, is sort of. Uh, and I, I'm not saying she reads this, but, uh, you know, she we all live in our circles now, our bubbles or whatever they're called. My bubble is impenetrable. Yeah. So she anytime she gets into what I consider to be the more salacious rhetoric, I, I will just end the conversation. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. Because it's and, and here's the thing, folks. I mean, I'm I am a I'll, I'll put it out there. The only reason why I'm a registered Democrat and I am is because uh, I found that I couldn't take part in the primaries and I, I really didn't have a care either way. I, I am going to go back to being a registered independent because I, I, don't, I don't agree with any political uh, overall philosophy. Um, mm. Although I got to say, I don't, I don't understand what drives the Republican Party. I, I don't. And, and, that, and, and I mean that just from a an overall perspective. I, I don't mean it's like, uh, you know, uh, as a Democrat, it's not that I don't, 
I don't understand how you can come up with a a, a, a health care plan, for example, where your the big benefit are tax credits to make it affordable. Uh, if I don't make enough money to effectively file taxes, or if I'm doing a 1040 easy because my income was 24 grand a year, or if I don't make enough money to, to report taxes at all, how exactly is a tax credit going to help me get health care? Yeah, it, it doesn't. It's, I think it, it goes back to what I was saying, that it's a philosophical difference, and it's just their way of appe- or, or offering an, an appeasement to, uh, to liberals or, um, or to, to the poor, um, but really they're philosophically against um, offering any sort of government assistance to, uh, to those in need. And I mean, there there are a lot of theories about like you know, there's empathy in in amongst liber- liberals and not so much amongst conservatives. There's more of a uh, you know, and you see it in these nationalists who are are uh, you know just want a, a white middle class or or whatever uh, whatever they want to to their society to be preserved, and they don't care about the rest of America. Uh, they don't care about the brown America. They don't care about urban America. They they just care about their own little bubble, and I and you know I think that it's hard. It's it, liberals tend to think more empathetically. Um, so that's that's where I think where the differences are, and that's why it's I don't have a problem embracing liberalism uh, or the Democrats, I should say, because that that closely aligns with my my. Uh, worldviews um so but, so basically you're saying since i uh, tend to err on the side of i understand paying a little more in my taxes if it helps the greater good is more of a liberal uh, philosophy uh wait say that one more time if i um if i don't if i have no issue for example with paying a little bit extra on my taxes because it helps the greater good right. uh, like let's say for example I were to pay an extra $50 in my taxes per year. And if everyone did that, it would help. And this, I'm not saying it would, but let's say theoretically, if everyone did that, it would help benefit uh, the healthcare program and everyone could have healthcare. I would happily do that. Yeah, no. And, and I think that, but there are people who are be like, that's my fucking money. You don't touch a penny of it. I earn that. And I yep. uh, believe me, I understand that. I because but, I I do everything well, I can to minimize what I pay in taxes. Sure, no, as as is that as do I, uh, and but at the same time, like these are people who went to public schools, who drive on par- you know public roads, who deal you know ex- happily file for social security, and uh, and get Medicare, and they you know don't touch my Medicare. But they're like, don't touch my money. I earned that. And I think you have to be, you have to be, um, have take a charitable view of things when it comes to things like uh, these public goods, like healthcare, I think is. But anyhow, that, that's, it just, it's something that I don't have an answer to. It's something that, that I think about and I think it's worth discussing. I don't think uh, we as a society are discussing the right uh, issues. And there are certainly ways to, to lower costs and, provide better care for people and we're so far from that and you, you look at you look at scandinavia and they're doing it right you look at 
Canada, I mean, you know, every other country does it right. Cuba does it better. And, um, and we'll, but, I, but, but we're a superpower. Yeah. Yeah. We are. That, that is true. And apparently our superpower is racism. I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? Um, so did you see, uh, um, uh, skull Kong skull Island? No, I have not. Oh. I never, uh, Marty, uh, look it, it, for all these times I fill in, I'm just going to put odds are I more than likely never get to the movies. I got a small child. I sometimes the bigger one watches the littler one and we can go to a movie. Doesn't really happen that often. The bigger child would probably appreciate uh Kong Skull Island. It's it's pretty it's pretty entertaining. It's it was uh the perfect popcorn movie on a Sunday afternoon and um and that John C Riley is an American treasure. Hmm, I love that guy. I could he, I could I could watch him in a just last night. I put on Wreck-It Ralph for my kid only because John C. Riley was a voice in there. Oh, he's great. And well, so are- Sarah Silverman, yeah, fair enough. Um, and I think we're all obligated to like... I mean, everybody in the country has to like Sarah Silverman, right? It's a law? Uh, not if you're in the alt-right. Good point. Mm-hmm. Um, By the way, Marty, I said something earlier, but I want to get your take on this because obviously I am uh, uh, white okay, uh, and male. So apparently in America, there's no reason why I can't uh, succeed. But my question to you is, and and this is the kind of thing that I think after the election, I kind of, I kind of came to, um, and I'm, I'm wondering which way it really goes. And I wanted your opinion on this. Um, and I, and I'm asking you this because you're, you're Asian. And so obviously if we were standing side by side, uh, and we were to have somebody, uh, that was more, uh, racially charged in front of us. I would more than likely get less flack than you would, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, but my question to you is, uh, are the election results, uh, the way they, they shook out for Trump, uh, and I, again, I hate assigning labels, but i got to ask, do you feel that this was more about uh, people's frustrations in in the more economically impacted areas with uh, how things economically did happen with Obama and hearing the the rhetoric about uh, jobs returning and factories being built. Do you think it was more about that? Or do you think it's that America is actually more racist than I wanted to believe it was? Uh, yes. Both? Completely. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. And I think that, um, I think that there was, I mean, we've talked about this, but, uh, you know, I think a lot of people, um, just were hungry for something different and it and i've i've likened it to um like when you're playing a video game and uh and you're just like you know you're getting crushed and you're just like fuck it and just start like moving the joystick wildly and hitting the the fire button you know just randomly because it's just something different mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like you know and maybe one chance time out of a hundred you're like oh i cleared that level but the other uh, times you get demolished because just because it's different doesn't mean it's better. And, uh, and I think that's what we're, we're, we're seeing. And I think that, you know, it's probably, a uh, a good thing that, uh, maybe this is the, the dose of reality that we needed. Um, and, you know, and I think that like we're race is becoming, race has always been an issue, but I think we're, we're talking about it more we've talked about it with the oscars we're talking about it with uh, the state of the country and um certainly there are those 
white nationalists who who feel emboldened by this and their minds will never be changed but they are a tiny minority and hopefully that they're being put out in the open uh will give have us have more rational discussions on race and like you know you see it in like movies like get out did you oh, obviously you didn't see get out but uh when that comes on uh vod or or on um on your cable channel that's a great um discussion of race and the fact that it became the first movie uh with an african-american writer director to earn 100 million dollars is is a reflection on a the quality of the movie and then b that that you know these are discussions worth having give it up and, for peel man he, he really uh, knocked it home yeah and and you know he's uh, he's said that he has a ton of movies that he wants to make that are in his noggin so i'm really excited it's a very entertaining movie um and and that's the, that's i think the best thing is that it's an entertaining movie and these days like one of the reasons i wanted to see skull island or i'm sorry kong mm-hmm. colon skull island uh is that i just need escapism <laughs> but and that's what it was you feel i mean because it's i was really kind of shocked that once again we were going i guess i shouldn't be but once again we're going back to the kong wheelhouse oh yeah but it's not you know it's not related at all to king kong i think it we go back to that wheelhouse is because the 1933 Kong, uh, King Kong or whatever it was, um, that movie captured so many filmmakers imaginations. It's like, it's, uh, Peter Jackson's favorite movie. It's, uh, Leonard Malton just, uh, was said the other day that is his favorite movie. And, and because it, of that, people want to t- tell their Kong stories. And, you know, this one is more of a it's like Kong meets Apocalypse Now and and it's got more comedy in it and uh, it's really fun and um, and I think that's why is that's there are certain movies that we go back to because they they harken back to the our childhood or or our early uh, appreciations of things well you know? and I understand that nostalgia is a very powerful thing I think the other day I, I normally don't fall for clickbait, right? But there was something that said, can you name these 60s and 70s TV shows just from one image? And yeah. I, I think I answered about uh, 20 of them when I rea- realized, wow, this is really pulling on my nostalgia. And, and the other thing I realized is, wow, I really watched too much, too many TV shows and movies as a child. <laughs> Oh man, that's that's all I did. Well, yeah. like, and and actually, where where did you grow up? Wasn't it here in the San Francisco Bay Area? Palo Alto. Yeah, there you go. So, as I was taking this quiz, so Marty, you'll relate to this. Next thing I know, it's like, uh, first of all, the first ten questions was all programming that was either on Coffee TV twenty or uh, twenty. They're calling it uh, forty. Uh, the CW is on forty four cable twelve. Yeah. What did, what did 12 used to be known as? I can't remember it off the top of my head. But it, it was like between those two channels, they showed everything that was there. Because the first ones were Gilligan's Island, The Monkees, Petticoat Junction, oh, yeah. uh, I Dream yeah. of Genie. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. like that was my afternoon getting home from school. Oh, or, yeah. or my my morning before school, Green Acres. I'd watch uh, Petticoat Junction. Then there was Dick Van Dyke, uh, Andy Griffith. And yeah, I watched all those. I didn't watch Petticoat Junction, but I watched um, 
Uh, How could you not? Uncle Joe was moving kind of slow at the junction. <laughs> I, I think it was it was too girly for me, and uh, even though that I guess they were they were hot girls, but um, I really liked Dick Van Dyke. That was a, a big deal for me. Well, that was a smart, uh, a very well written comedy show. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, and I was hearing, I read something the other day that like. Uh, Basically, your musical tastes as an adult are, are cemented when you're when by the music you were listening to at 19. And so I was thinking about what do I listen? And basically, uh, I the stuff that I listened to in my like you know years in college are the things that are in constant like rotation. I guess that would explain my obsession with podcasts. Considering uh, when I was 19, I was listening less to music and more to things like. God, I was a weird kid because I was listening to like Alex Bennett on uh, on oh, K Rock or what was no um, Camel Camel? I know he that was one hundred six point one. It was one hundred five point three, alternative rock station and, and live one hundred five. There we go. Right, uh, right. So I would listen to Alex Bennett on live one hundred five. So I, and that kind of was more, I guess, the music I would listen to at the time because uh, listening to the right. morning show and then it it may just <laughs> keep going. But that was an amazing show because you get people like Dana Carvey on and, and Bobcat was on all the time. I swear in the era that I was, well, it, we have similar eras. I don't know why I'm saying that. But at the time I was listening to Alex Bennett, for example, I know that I heard uh, Blaine Kapatch is a regular. And I swear that I remember hearing Patton Oswalt on that show several times. Uh, maybe, but that was probably later. That was probably in the 90s. Yeah, um, that would have been my era. Yeah. Oh, I see. Because, yeah, I listened to it in the 80s, and, and I just remember, like, that bobcat is locked up. And, <laughs> and then I met him later. I worked on Shakes the Clown, um, and he was, but by then he was sober, and, uh, and he was totally normal and, like, really on his shit. Um, but, uh, yeah, I used to love that show. That was great. Um, this gets into this question that uh that yari in uh finland said he said episode idea how about a marty origin story you've been a listener from day one and i still have only vague knowledge about your background um all right fair enough um <laughs> i grew up in palo alto which is like even though it's right now like super silicon valley uh or it was back then um it was pretty much like a very uh, suburban area. Do you have a, a perception of, of Palo Alto, like that area? Uh, money, 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 yeah. money, 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 money. So my parents bought their house in '71 for like sixty thousand dollars, and uh, which you know is I guess was considerable back then, but it's not like what it is now. Mm -hmm. uh, Barry Bonds, he's lived up the street. And he sold his house for eighteen million, and he lives like a quarter mile away. It's a much nicer. They have he has a view and everything, but he that's a crazy. It's a crazy area, but that wasn't like that growing up. Growing up, it was like just really simple. We we didn't the dogs just roamed. We didn't have any fences, and that that was like people had horses. Uh, and so I grew up in a pretty sheltered household or uh, area, and then uh, you know had liberal parents then went to college and basically uh, came out to L.A. with 
only because I guess my sister was out here and she was making movies and I was like, oh, that sounds like fun. And then uh, over the next like 20 years or so, I worked or I guess 10 years, I worked in did produced films, made short films, uh, read scripts for a production company for several years. So I did basically every single thing you could do. I did. I worked in production sound. I never did camera stuff. I did editing, uh, including like cutting 35 millimeter film, which is shows you how old I am. Um, and, um, but, you know, I didn't really have a clear direction. And I think that's kind of what you need. And that's what, like, you know, someone like John Enbaum, friend of the show, he he knew he wanted to to write. And so while he was doing the same things I was, he was writing all the time. And that's what he wanted to do. Dan Etheridge, he went to production, a uh, producer school. He went to the USC, uh, whatever, I forget what it's called, but film school, but the, the, uh, the uh, producer side because he wanted to be a producer. And I was just like, all right, I'll just do this. And then uh, there was a friend of mine who's like, oh, I'm starting a theater company. You want to, uh, you should come out. And I said, well, I don't, I'm not an actor. And he said, so? And then I was there uh, like a few months later on stage to, acting in this silly, crazy show about Fatty Arbuckle, a musical about Fatty Arbuckle with, uh, with Dan Etheridge and Phil Lamar, both friends or Merp and friend of the show and then that's the that's the official introduction of marty you to dan etheridge uh no we we went to college together aha so you yeah. left that part out you breezed well, over college yeah well college was not that interesting i was a, a jock in college so uh, wow was, i did not see that coming yeah so i was a, a fencer was oh the, even better yeah so i was on the the u.s fencing team in 1990 and uh and you know was a second or third alternate for the Olympic team in 88. Oh my gosh, Marty. 92, 92. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, but, uh, you know, I wasn't, I, I didn't have the eye of the tiger, but, uh, but it was a, something that I really loved doing and it was, it was good at it. So, um, is it something you ever return to now when you feel like, you know, I need some exercise. My knees are so fucked up that Never mind. They, it's pretty hard on your knees. And so, yeah, I've been having some, I had some surgeries and, and uh, it's it's hard for me to to get to do uh, that level of of impact. On it makes me. sense because it's it looks like it's a lot about stance and and back and forth. So there's a lot of uh, like stomping involved, is what my takeaway is. Yeah, that's what we call it stomping. Stomping, you know? yeah, stomping and fencing. Stomping with swords. This was basically what it is. Ah, oh, that is going to be the name of my next novel <laughs> and my first band. There you go. That was your that was your high school band name, yeah. Stomping with swords. So uh, when I started doing acting, I talked to Phil Amar and I said, "Oh, you know, I, I'm interested." He was in the Groundlings, and I I said, uh, "I I was uh, interested in doing that program." And he said, uh, "He said th these are like the wisest words that uh, some great advice I got." He said, "Well, don't go to the Groundlings if you expect if you want to be a Groundling because it's probably not going to happen." Uh, basically, they have it's like this. It's basically like a, a Scientology-like cult. You know, you get in at level one, and then you graduate to each subsequent level. And so I did that, and I and I went made it all the way to advanced, which is so it goes like one, two, three, then advanced, then it goes to the Sunday company, and then the main company. And 
uh, I was right before the main, the Sunday company. And it's a great program, by the way. It's, it's if you want to learn how to, to build characters, if you want to learn how to write, it's a great place to learn. It's very, very rigid and strict. Um, but it's, and you'll meet some really funny people. And I did. And, uh, like I was in class with, uh, the, uh, the, uh, what's her name? The progressive flow, the progressive, uh, girl, you know, flow, the progressive ads. Progressive yes. Intro. Yeah. I'm with you now. Um, yeah, that's Stephanie. And she's was like immediately, I was just like, that woman is so fucking funny. Like I, why am I even here? And it, it was, uh, like she and Annie Mumolo, um, who wrote Bridesmaids and uh, with uh, Kristen Wiig? Uh, I was like, they're they're like above and beyond. I have no business being in here, and uh, and they were they they managed to do great for themselves. So I'm, I couldn't be happier for them. Uh, and then I got cut at Advanced, and uh, and it was f- totally justified because I was working full time at a job. I I and this is not an ex- I, yes, it's a total excuse. I was having a bad breakup. And I, I just wasn't focused on the on the the performance on, on doing making writing in these uh, sketches and building characters and it just requires a lot of work and I wasn't giving it. Uh, so I was rightfully cut. Um, and then I went to UCB, uh, which is a totally different program. And I also love UCB and UCB is so much more fun. I remember being in, I was driving uh, someone home. uh, This is back in level three at Groundlings. And she was just like crying because she wanted to be a Groundling. And I was like, well, you know, like she, it was like her thing. And it it was really, really competitive and she was just losing it. Uh, And I just was like, "Uh, you probably this is not the best path to be funny if you're putting this much pressure on yourself. Uh, she ended up doing great and ended up uh, like being an improv star in, in, in uh, uh, the Netherlands and does great stuff out here. And no, she's, she's, she's doing great. But uh, is that like going to play basketball in the Russian league? And when you say they did great things in the Netherlands? Yeah. Because like for whatever reason in Amsterdam, improv um, like english speaking improv at some a certain point i don't know if it still is but like you know 10 years ago was like a huge deal and they were they would be doing improv shows in front of 800 people like my like her face was on a bus <laughs> in amsterdam uh my friend who who was freaking out um and like it's awesome and a bunch of a bunch of people went there and did great things and came back uh, and so it, it totally is uh, like it, the equivalent of, of playing basketball in Europe. Um, but it's so weird that that it's, it wasn't D- Dutch improv. It was English improv. Uh, but um, hmm, I guess comedy is funnier in English than it is in Dutch. I'm sure somebody will prove or come well, at me. I, I wouldn't understand it if you told me a, a joke in Dutch. Yeah, just laugh. Um, <laughs> good. Uh, so I did that for several years. And then at the same time, I was doing a lot of, uh, I was making my money uh, doing commercials. And there's, uh, I would, you know, had a, dozens of commercials running uh, or, you know, over the years. And that's a great way to make money. It's just, uh, it's really hard to know when your next paycheck is coming. Because like, you know, one year I had like seven commercials, which is great, which is like 
kind of a, an amazing year. And then like two years later, I had maybe one or two and one commercial can make you shit loads of money. Damn. And then, yeah. And then, but then the, you get really excited. I got really excited. I did an IBM commercial and it's like, all right, this is awesome. You know, this, this director, his stuff, uh, IBM stuff goes for a long time and it never aired. And so like every, the, he shot multiple ads that one day and everyone else has aired, but mine didn't. And so I got paid for the same, doing the same work as everybody else. I got paid very well for the day, but they got paid, you know, 10 to 20 times more than I did and mm -hmm. completely arbitrary. So it's a, it's a very weird business. Um, I once did uh, a bunch of IBM ads and I got there and the, uh, this is a separate ad and basically the director was like basically each person was supposed to do three ads and there were like 10 of us there and then the director had a change of heart and he's like okay no i want to do i want to have like three company people and then each of you the rest of you will be in one ad so three people got to do 10 ads and the rest of us got to do one ad and I think one of the, yeah one of them was Eric Stone Street and of course he got picked to be one of the three so in that one day he probably made you know a, a couple hundred grand you know and I made very good money but not that and uh, and it was it so that just says something about how arbitrary this stuff is well and plus man I, you never know when it's also going to be one of those breakout things like you bring up flow from Progressive you know that was probably originally a one concept ad but it tested so well and now it's just steamrolled into a, a, probably a very lucrative confer, uh, career for her uh yeah yeah and and it, you know what she put in the work and like people are like people who like get sick of her like i you know i i think about like you know what she's probably made millions doing or of course she's made millions doing that and but like what is what is her and like uh, she's doing what we all would love to do. Nobody I know would turn that down. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, she, she's gotten, she's been on house as a guest star. She just was in the new Bob Odenkirk uh, movie on Netflix. So she still gets to be, and I'm sure she does um, live shows at groundlings. And so it's like, like to, to be, to make money doing something you love is such a privilege. And, and it's not just about stardom. Mm -hmm. Uh, and yeah, so I feel like I've really been really, really lucky. And I think that um, one of the things that that being a commercial actor get, gets you is like the op the the freedom to pursue other things. So, you know, you can do you can make your own short films, you can do free theater and that helps your craft. And uh, and I did a lot of that for a while, but also it's just like the burnout rate is so <laughs> high. So, I mean, I still go out auditioning and um and i uh sometimes i book things it's been a while but uh um and then i also i've done a bunch of uh, tv stuff so uh you can look on my imdb page and see all the tiny roles i've been in well it's still plenty more than i have been in oh yeah and i you know what i love doing it and if when the opportunities come up i it's a, a great thing and i'm really lucky and um and then i've also written screenplays and i've written um i write commercial treatments now and then for uh 
production companies. So I've worked with several big um, uh, commercial directors, and that's been that's really fun. So I don't know if that answers your question, Yari, but um, that's that's my life in a nutshell. Darren just posted the 1990 U.S. National Fencing Championships. That's the year that my sister won. Ooh. She national champion. I got fucked over by the uh, by a bad officials call, and you can watch that view. Uh, that watch that controversial uh, uh, bout. Yeah, I'm sorry, uh, stomping, um, stomping with with swords if you want to on uh, Twitter. Um, so yeah, and then uh, now I'm sort of. Uh, it got to a point where my my dreams as an actor became more about making sure that I made my insurance and uh, making sure that, you know, because SAG has very good insurance and making sure I make my pension. And now it's just like, I just want to get out there every now and then. So, mm -hmm. well, it's, uh, it, it, what's interesting about that, Marty, is I feel like you're, <clears throat> you're basically summarizing it, it perfectly what you describe uh, as your entire Hollywood experience. It was always kind of like, Oh, that sounds fun. That sounds interesting. I'll try that. And then, you know, when it came down to it, it's like, all right, well, I've I've kind of tried everything, and right now I'm just trying to maintain stuff. So what's the next step? I like that. Right. right. And, and and it's been really good. I think that the the big lesson that I've learned is that like the if if you know what you want and you put your focus in like a hundred percent of your focus into that, that is your best bet to get results. I've done way too many things. I've done editing. I've done like video editing and like I like it all. And I don't have that crazy weird focus of like a Donald Glover who's like, I like it all. And I spend 24 hours doing it all. <laughs> I also like cooking and I like playing with the dogs and I like lounging. Uh, so, and you know, you, you need to find that balance of, of life and work. And, um, but then you know, I was thinking, uh, you know that guy Casey Neistat? Yes. Neistat. Very, yeah, very uh, I don't remember how I stumbled upon him, um, but it was about, and I know he's been in the game much longer, um, but yeah. I, I stumbled across him six months ago, and like any anytime I need a good distraction, I always fall into one of his videos. Do you want to explain who he is? I don't know if I can adequately, but basically he's a, I, and I don't want to quantify him as a YouTuber per se, but I believe that's how he kind of uh, grew in popularity. Uh, but the difference between him and the average person uh, was that he also does these fully produced videos when he does them. So they're very cinematic in scope. They're very uh, varying. A lot of intercut with uh, city experiences or city scenery that he shoots with drones. Uh, and uh, recently, well, he also has tried to start uh, a, an app. It doesn't matter what it was anymore, but that app was bought by CNN. And now he technically works for CNN, and I think they're going to start rolling him out with live news. Yeah, so he's a lifestyle vlogger, essentially. There we go. I, boy, that was much shorter and, and very much more adept. Thank you. But no, but it, but what what's crazy is, and you think about all the, you know, people are like, oh, I should do a podcast and, and uh, I should do a, a vlog. And, and, you know, everybody should if that's what you want to do, because it's really fun. Like, this is, I look forward to this every week. This is like a huge, uh, it's a fun time to spend with people I like, and I get to interact with people I haven't met who I like. Um, uh, 
Oh, people like uh, Squirrely13, who said, finally home after hospital run, nothing wrong. Uh, and Will Wilkins is here. And that is true. You you speak truth, Squirrely13. And glad to hear nothing's wrong. And glad to hear nothing's wrong. But the, uh, so Casey Neistat, he does this thing where he, you know, he does things like he did uh, skiing, like he was dragged through New York, uh, through New York City on a, by a, a four by four and he was pulled on skis uh, during a snowstorm when they blocked off all the roads and 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 then he got caught by the police and and he filmed everything and it's like so he does all these like sort of gonzo things like you know uh crazy uh you know stunts like um jumping off of buildings and stuff like that mm -hmm. uh, and, and so it is sort of like he does all these things that we wish we could do um and it just makes it, he makes it look effortless. And, but then when you look at what he actually does, like he, he, like you said, they're very cinematic. He, he does all this stuff with drones and, uh, and, you know, he used to be, um, an engineer, you know, he's he, at a, at Tumblr, I think, or something like that. Um, a software engineer, but then, uh, and then he shoots with the best cameras and he, and he talks about it freely and, and they're all very well crafted. And he basically works his ass off 24 seven to, to bring this content. And that there are some people who are like that and they live and breathe that. Mm -hmm. And God for those people, because they, they're providing a service and, and it's great. It's really entertaining to watch, but, um, but it just, I think that for anybody who aspires to, to do these things, just know that it takes a lot of fucking work. And that's the thing too that uh, that it, I I definitely uh, I, it came up in, in conversation the other day as well. It's just that you know there's a reason why there are people like Dwayne the Rock Johnson who have uh, been able to succeed, and that is because they are just relentless with their work ethic and getting things done and making sure that they that drive does in fact drive them and push them. And, and, you know, then there's other people like, like me who always talks about wanting to write and never writing or, you know, it's like, oh, I should start a vlog and never vlogging because it's just, it's, it's not in my wheelhouse. It's not in my passion. So, you know, why bother? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, not why bother. I mean, we can still do these things and we can still strive for these things, but just acknowledging that, uh, for those people who are just like, oh, you know, I had an idea about a monkey movie that crosses with Apocalypse Now. They stole my idea. Well, did you write it? Did you make it? Like, if you didn't, then it really was just an idea. And um, I remember talking to uh, Rob Thomas of Veronica Mars of fame and Isambi, and we were talking about Dan. I was saying how good a, an actor Dan is and and you know, I don't know why he he uh, doesn't pursue it. And then Rob was like, well, he doesn't want to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Dan wants to be a producer. And Dan is a very successful producer and now a TV director as well. And that is because he sacrificed a lot. He lives seven months out of the year up in in rainy Vancouver, Vancouver, and uh, and it costs him a lot of his social life but he does it because that is the sacrifice he needs to make to get his keep his career running mm -hmm. um and yeah so i i that is 
Um, I don't know what that has to do with me. Oh, that's because that's not me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like you, you know, I'm I and I've been really lucky to work at a, a good job for the past few years that gives me a lot of freedom to do things like auditions uh, and do things like this podcast. And um, I have that freedom. And also it uh, I get treated pretty well. And and you have a similar situation, right? Yes, definitely. Definitely. As a matter of fact, I very thankful for my situation right now because I get the benefit of working from home and I've got a toddler. So I get to uh, experience more of her than I did my first daughter in growing up and spending time with her. So right, very thankful for it. And, and you know, the thing is, too, I, I've realized in reflecting on, on some of the things I have accomplished in life, I, 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 I at one point said, I've lived a very charmed life. But the truth of the matter is that the only reason why I got the quote-unquote charm that I did was because, in some respects, I did not stop. So I I did continue to push, even though probably the most minimal amount of pushing possible to still achieve things, that's what I did. And, and through my persistence, I've, I've had several opportunities that I never would have expected, so you know, it's a, it's, it's a good life, Marty. I'm not going to lie. No, absolutely. And, you know, I've also lived a charmed life. I grew up in a, you know, not wanting for anything, um, not spoiled, but not wanting for anything. And I think that that affords you opportunities. And it's, the question is, what do you do with those opportunities? So for everybody who says like Sofia Coppola only is a director because she, her dad is Francis Ford Coppola. Um, she still made a couple of really great movies and, mm-hmm. and uh, that's the first example that came to my head, but there, there are other examples like that. Um, and like Jake Kasdan, Larry Kasdan's son, he's a great director and he gave, he directed freaks and geeks and, and yes, he had that opportunity at 19 to, to write a, and direct a feature film, but it happened to be good. Um, and so I think that, Yes, it's like you do with you do the best with what you're given. And if what you're given is a billion dollars from your real estate mogul father, then you do the best you can with it and then you become president. So that's <laughs> Wait, wait, somehow my message got screwed up. Fuck, I, God damn it. I, I, that, this is what happens when you don't have your regular merps around you, Marty. Keeping me in check. Uh, let me just get through a couple uh, because this this is uh, this mail sack um, question. Uh, by the way, Yari, thank you for tweeting that. I never talk about myself just because I always feel like the people around me are more interesting. Um, so, and I I think I reiterated that by with that like meandering um, biography. But uh, Peter W C uh, W G. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Peter. Peter W G writes in. Um, just checking in, currently on a lovely getaway with my lady in Portland and Seattle, but will be a mess by the time this is read on Tuesday. Real life is for suckers. No shit. And by the way, this daylight saving sucks. Yeah. I woke up on Sunday so panicked about daylight savings like that I thought it was Monday, and I was out the door with the dogs running in the dark, and then I saw the Sunday papers at the steps. I was like, oh, fuck, it's not. Wow, you didn't just think you lost an hour. You lost, you'd lost a day. I lost a day. I was so fucked up. Um. Anyway, I think we've done this one, but do any of you Merps have fun heartache or breakup stories? For example, I was living with a girl who I was dating and she cheated on me. Worst part, 
was I broke up. Uh, I was broke and couldn't afford to move out, so I spent the next few months in hell. But it did allow me to get over her much quicker. Oy vey. How is that a fun heartache or breakup story? There are no fun heartache or breakup stories. Uh, uh, on a okay, so let's answer that question. Um, do you have any good breakup stories? No. No. Uh, no. I don't. I mean, you know, the only thing I can think of that would be considered like a good breakup story is when. And I think this only happened once. Essentially, both people realized, you know, this just isn't working. We cool? All right, peace. That was it. And and only one. One. One out of all. And and there were other, you know, so forget about it. Yeah, there have been some breakups that have been, uh, well, I don't have any ill feelings. I feel like every breakup happened because it wasn't the right relationship. Um, I... I probably there are times when I broke up in ways that I could have communicated better. Um, like when I was younger, I did that thing of just sort of like being distant until the person was fine, like, all right, I'm breaking up with you. And, and being like, oh, it was her, you know, <laughs> it was her decision, not mine. But clearly I, in my mind, I had already done that. Um, and that was a shitty thing to do. And all you, everyone out there, if you do that, you're shitty, but, so am I. <laughs> um, distancing. Distancing. And uh, I, I remember there was one time when I was feel, starting to feel that. And then there was a family trip and we were all going to go to Hawaii. And I was like, I better break this off because I don't want to spend a week in Hawaii with someone I'm I can't I can't distance myself if we're on the same spot. Wow. Oh. So that was the 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 driving factor and uh yeah. Uh but no nothing nothing is uh I don't know if I've ever been cheated on. Um and I haven't cheated on anybody. Uh I haven't lived with anyone before, so until now. So that hasn't been a, a big issue. So I guess I've I've dodged a, a heartache bullet. I mean I've certainly had my heart broken a zillion times, but uh, always coming out realizing that wasn't the right relationship. That's a lot of heartbreak, dude. Huh? That's a lot of heartbreak. A zillion times? A zillion times. Literally a zillion times. Wow. Yeah. Uh, on a completely unrelated note, Peter goes on, I hope I'm not airing his personal business, but life has been a real son of a bitch to our fantastic and intrepid field reporter and number one uh, listener, Chris Miller. Please, listeners and Merps alike, send your love and support to a truly awesome dude. We all need it at some times. Is is Chris Miller? Uh, is that uh, God? There's so many names I see stream by. Is that? Uh, is he the uh, uh, something involving with CG Guy seventy nine, or is that a different person on Twitter? Oh, I don't know. There. Okay, never mind. Move on. Okay, so he goes on my way to grab some cherry pie and a damn fine cup of coffee at Tweets Cafe. Everybody. Get excited for Twin Peaks, starring yes, Don Pircello, um, our favorite, our one of our merps. Um, and good nooner to all, Peter WG. Thank you, Peter, for that great uh, message. Chris Miller is, is going through some uh, hard times because his family is moving to Texas. He lives in San Diego, and he wants to be in LA, and he needs a job. So, if anybody has a job uh, for Chris Miller, contact him. Um, yeah, unfortunately, that was Mike Driscoll. I was thinking of apologies, Chris. Uh, no worries. And, um, yeah, so I, and I thought about like 
I was just thinking about how all the opportunities I've been given and I've been really uh, lucky. Um, I've had friends give me jobs. I've been able to get friends jobs and that's a good thing. Um, and and I've, my family's helped me out when I've needed it. So I I wish that everybody had that opportunity. And, and Chris, I just, uh, I'm sending you out uh, good vibes and and if you do make it up to LA and I think you should and, and do your best uh, if you can and uh, um, jump in and and uh, come visit us at the podcast um, yeah I know the for instance uh, Cassandra you know she quit her her serving job and uh, but then today or I guess she's back she's working at an, a different restaurant now but she's back to serving and I'm sure that that is uh that is not the ideal situation, but it, you, it doesn't have to be soul crushing. Like uh, uh, working in a corporate job is, is not where I imagined I'd be when I graduated from college. Um, but I'm so grateful that I have it and that it's in paying my bills and allowing me to do stuff. So, uh, Chris, I hope you, you, um, you find something that, uh, let's find some work soon that lets you pursue some of the creative endeavors that you have in your mind. Cause I know that, uh, uh, that you have a lot of, um, of, of ambition. So, uh, don't let this, uh, crush your ambition, let it drive it. And uh, that, Oh, they said that they can't hear me. Well, no, can they you... can hear you now. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, Oh, wow. Everybody tweeted it. I feel loved. You should see you're you're well you're pivotal Marty. If there's no Marty, there's no Nooner. So Chris Miller, ninety four, writer, adventure, hedonist, bohemian, and all around odd. There we go. Yeah. So yeah. So Chris, I I think that this is a, just a shitty shitty situation that you're in right now, uh, and know that you're loved in uh, the Merp community or in the the uh, the Smodco universe, and uh, and hopefully something good will come out of this and uh, hopefully you can make it up to LA. Um, not sure writes in, if you had to switch voices with anyone on the planet, who would it be except for Bill? That's my choice. Um, it's a very good question. Would you switch voices with anyone? You know, I, I don't think so. I think I would I would stick with mine, but yeah. I, I only because I've kind of been given a decent set of pipes. I uh, you do have you have radio uh yes. They they those are some substantial pipes. Your plumbing, your vocal plumbing be good. Um I would change my voice with Jackie Ivanchko because she has the voice of an angel. Um you know who that is? No. Oh, she's saying it trumps an argument. Uh, oh, okay. That's the reason why I don't know. Um, yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I wish my voice were a little better. I wish I had a better uh, ear. Um, I'm a little bit tone deaf. But uh, I like singing. I like my voice. Oh, very good. Yeah, there you go. Um, but I also, Bill does have a good voice. So, but he was already taken. Uh, Michael Binhock writes in, "Good morning, Merps. On Saturday, I have my housewarming party. Congratulations! A couple of friends will be over, and I will make summer rolls with saute sauce. Oh, so summer rolls? Those are like um, 
the rice paper wrapped around uh, vegetables and stuff. Uh, I don't know yet if we'll play some Quelf or SingStar. Do you know what either of those things are? No. Okay. In other I'm so helpful. Uh, yes, you are. Uh, my, my cousin quit her job, and she'll do some work on her house for a couple months, and she's coming to Europe to stay with me for a while. I think she's the one who lives in Michigan. Um, you were talking about Evil Dead last week. In Germany, the movie, in its uncut version, was on the index and confiscated uh, until August of 2016. A version with 14 minutes cut was released in 2002. Last week, to celebrate the approval of the movie, it will be shown in theaters in over 80 cities. The first, I'm assuming you're talking about the original Evil Dead, um, that was shot on 16 millimeter film, financed by dentists and uh, featuring tree rape. Um, in the last couple weeks, I did watch some anime. I'm a big fan of Ghost in the Shell. I bought the movie in 1999 in London on VHS, thanks to Wamdu Project, King of My Castle. Uh, I'm looking forward to the live action movie. I'm also aware of the controversy about the casting of Scarlett Johansson as the lead, but I don't care. Till next time, Michael. Uh, thanks, Michael. Um, I just don't know if Ghost in the Shell is going to... Well, I think that it's wrong for them to cast... Um, uh, sexy white woman in a sexy Asian person's role. But um, I also didn't really care for the the, the Huntsman, whatever the guy did, um, Snow White and Huntsman. Is that what it was? That's the guy who who's directing Ghost in the Shell. So I'm not that, uh, I'm not that concerned about it. Um, I'm not that excited about it. Uh, and I'm happy to be wrong. Um, so you were talking about you work at home, right? Yes, sir. And yet, uh, you have to go through through sexual harassment training. What's up with that? Uh, well, you know, it's just it, it's a corporate thing. It always happens. It, it, but that's not the part that really got me about it. Uh, the part that killed me is um, well. Do you know what the uh, what the first lady's uh, platform is going to be? What her issue is that she's going to go after? Well, for uh, Michelle Obama, it was um, it was. No, no, the current one. And Laura Bush, it was literacy, and I believe uh, Melania Trump is bullying. Yeah, so here are the things that, here are the tactics that bullies use, okay? Belittling others' opinions. Sick, sad. Persistent teasing or sarcasm. Uh, whatever, uh, what did he, um, Lion, has to say. Lion will, lion will. Insulting, threatening, or yelling at someone. Um... Your heads will roll if you don't go with my health care plan. Accusing somebody of being incompetent. Um, the generals lost uh, the, the uh, raid in Yemen. The Failing New York Times. Setting one, someone up to fail. I don't know about that one. Uh, humiliating someone. Um, um, what, 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 uh, well, okay, I, I think you can get the point. The <laughs> thing is, I, I took the time to transcribe this list because I was shocked about how many things directly apply to her very husband. Yeah, I was shocked. It's it's an incredibly ironic uh, choice. Uh, Dan Savage spent the past two podcasts in the front of his show talking about how Melania Trump is not uh, not a great person, or or that he wasn't a, a big fan of hers. Um, uh, one, you know, she had a a profile done in GQ that she found um, unflattering. Uh, even though I, I think it's, it was probably why well, I, I didn't read it. So I can't say I can't speak to it. But then all these white nationalists came out threatening the uh, 
the journalist who wrote it, who happens to be Jewish, and they would send her pictures from concentration camps with her head photoshopped on uh, the prisoners. They would send, uh, they would play recordings of, of Hitler speeches to her. And Melania Trump said she didn't, uh, she wouldn't, she said that like it was her fault, the journalist's fault for, you know, she had it coming basically. And she said that she didn't agree with those people, but she couldn't. And, and Donald Trump said that uh, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, um, uh, would, would, you know, castigate those people. He, he basically said, I, I heard it wasn't a good article and, you know, and, uh, but he would not denounce the, the, these, anti-Semitic like attacks on this this poor journalist so uh so Melania Trump basically you know let these bullies go uh and you know I I, I hate to say it but I think there's a certain point where we do kind of just need to to stop with pointing out the the blatant I guess stupidity of the overall situation uh, only, only because it, it just, it, it seems like no matter what angle you look at it from and no matter what issue that's occurring, it, it's just like there's this magnificent bowl of ineptitude that they're just constantly pulling from. Yeah. And it, it, it it's too, I mean, at this point, aren't we all bullying really? Oops. Uh, well, yeah, I, I guess, no, I think calling out somebody's bullying is not bullying. I think that Bullying comes from a place of power and and authority, and when you, um, and I mean, you don't have to be powerful to. Well, you're you're basically exploiting some advantage you have over another person, and and then doing all those tactics that you said. Uh, well, I think the less we talk about it, like the more the more we talk about the issues is is the more important thing. So definitely, I think so. Because at that point, you're not making it personal. We're making it. God, now I feel bad for what I even did. I'm an asshole. I'm sorry, Marty. Oh, uh, no, 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 you shouldn't. You, no, because it, it's something that we need to discuss. It's like Rachel Maddow. She said on the rap um, that uh, the radio show, I think it is, um, that she doesn't cover uh, Trump's tweet, Twitter, Twitter feed anymore. And they 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 focus on what he does rather than what he says. Mm -hmm. And I think that is that ultimately like that is where what we should be doing and that's why i was more interested in talking about healthcare than i was about like him accusing the uh, obama of of wiretapping him mm -hmm. these are the things that will ultimately affect us and for us to 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 lose sight of of those things because he's just ranting and raving that 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 is inconsequential at the end of the day but healthcare is something that's really important so that's the moral of the story today, kids, is to just focus on the issues and not the people. Uh, yeah. Uh, unless yeah. the people are glaringly uh, requiring it. Yeah. Well, if their words have actionable or, or, or people are acting on their words, like if, if he came, you know, it's like if you yell fire in a movie theater, that, that then the words get that get damaging. But if he's just like just spouting nonsense, like it's 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 good. Com comedic fodder like when Kellyanne Conway says that microwaves are, are turning into cameras and spying on us that's funny but if it distracts from the greater story then then we shouldn't we shouldn't give it uh too much voice I agree um so what what uh how what what goes on with your, your sexual harassment training I mean I guess you can sexually harass from remotely you know 
Well, actually, uh, technically speaking, I'm also at a manager level, so uh, that means that uh, not only do I have to take the general one to be aware about what's offensive, but then there also has to be how would you handle these situations. So it's a, it's a very it's actually very in-depth. Wait, do you manage employees then? I do have one right now, and soon I'll have a contractor as well. I was wondering what that, that squirming like bundle wrapped in, in latex was behind you. And <laughs> I know. That has nothing to do with work. Ignore that. Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, the, the gimp is just the gimp. He's, he's there by choice. Not getting paid. He's exactly. A, an intern. It's because it's what he loves, Marty. <laughs> Another moral from today. Sorry. Yes, yes. Don't, don't uh, harshen anyone's high, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so... What about your work? What do you uh, do? People know what you what you do. Do you talk about that at all? No. Okay. No, I keep a I keep a very. I mean, I think what I've said today is probably the most I've ever said about what I do mm. on the air. Right. And, and it's just because the two the two worlds I, I believe need to be firmly divided. Like for example, I'm I'm four minutes away from needing to get back into that, or four minutes after needing to get back into that world. Oh, okay. Well, you know, we'll we'll just uh, we'll end now. Um, so. Um, guys, thank you so much for uh, listening to this special, special episode and, uh, and for tweeting in. And please feel free to fill our mail sack. That's noonerpodcast at gmail.com. There's the, the Tumblr page, which is a little late, but uh, everyone, should, if you want to see what we've been talking about, thank you to, uh, to Darren and Tyson for maintaining that. That's noonerpodcast at tumblr, uh, dot tumblr.com. And then you can tweet at us, Nooner Podcast, and then you should all listen to NetHeads. And when does that go live? Uh, you know, just subscribe to it because the the light, like Trent and I may be going live this evening. The easiest thing to do is just follow NetHeads on air via Twitter. All right. And then follow us and um, follow us individually. That's uh, NetHeads WW. Is that right? NetHead WW? NetHead WW. And then I'm at Marty U. And uh, next week, we hope we'll have some Merps, some other Merps back. Not that we don't love having Will on the mic. And um, and in the meanwhile, we will. Uh, you should see Will tonight if you want, and then we'll see the rest of you next Tuesday. We're gonna dip into the mail. Sack. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> All right. See, this is good. All right, keep that in. Um, All right. You know what? This is our ending song. Bye. Bye, everybody. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com.